0: Church, how are you? Man, What an awesome time of worship we had this morning! And uh, it feels like God is already at work, He wants to do some stuff in our midst. And it's awesome to be back in church. I'm just gonna say it right now. I was in the back there listening to everyone praying and so blessed. And I crossed my mind, I'm like, Do I even need to come out and do anything? It <laughs> feels like God's oh, already done everything He wants. How am I gonna help that in any way? But uh, I'm so glad you're here. Welcome to church. Second time of the new year, first time of the second, second. I don't even know, second time, alright, great. Hey, if you have a Bible, open it up, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 this morning, and then you want to place your finger there and um, also open it up to Luke chapter 11, because I'm going to reference that towards the end of our message. <laughs> we are beginning a new series, it's called All Access, and it's a series that we have purposely put together with the intention of uh, coupling with our 21 days of prayer and fasting. Now, we're entering into our last week. We've had weather that's delayed us from launching this series, but it's going to be a really good series nonetheless. And it's going to be important for all of us. We titled it All Access because it has to do with prayer. We're going to be doing several weeks on the topic of prayer. We're going to be unpacking that topic. We're going to be explaining some things. And we're going to be really diving into this. This is... One of the areas of a believer's life that is crucial, not only for their growth and their sanctification and becoming more like Jesus, but also in their depth of relationship with God in a way of communing with Him and understanding Him. Prayer is an amazing gift that God has given the church. And it's amazing because it can never be taken away from you. They can burn your Bible, they can forbid us from meeting like this, but they can never stop God's people from calling out to Him in prayer. Isn't that an amazing thing? Isn't that wonderful to think about that they can never stop? They could throw you into a dark prison and you still can pray. And I love that. It's a gift from God. So let's look real quickly at Matthew chapter 5. I want to start with our verse and then I'm going to backtrack a little bit and set us up for the message today. But Matthew chapter 6 verses 9 through 13. This is what Jesus says from the Sermon on the Mount. He says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let's pray. God, we thank you already for the time of worship where you met with us, you ministered to us, Lord God, and we thank you that, uh, you surprised some of us when we walked in with, with great burdens and great needs Lord and by the power of your spirit the knowledge of how you know all of us Lord you reached out to us and ministered to us and, and Lord we give thanks to you for that already and Lord we ask that you would do the same in this time as we open up your word your timeless word your unchanging word that we look into it that we would, we would be fed in our spirit by your word And that Lord, we'd be encouraged and that you would do what you want through this series as we draw near to you in prayer. And so God, I pray for that. I pray that you'd help me uh, to be clear thinking and that uh, you would speak as you want through me this morning. I just yield to you in the name of Jesus. And everyone said together, Amen, Amen. amen. So here we are. We're starting this new series, All Access. And as I said, it's going to coincide perfectly with the uh, 21 days of prayer. And the whole idea of access and whole access is that we have this unhindered, approachable of God that we can go into His throne room, that we can approach Him, we can bring to Him anything that's on our heart, in our life that's going on without anything, no barrier, everything's been removed. And God has given us this all access to His all-powerful, amazing throne of grace that He sits in as He's interceding for us. And we see that this has happened because when you go back and you look at the crucifixion, when Jesus hung on the cross, at the moment that Jesus gave his life and his spirit left his body, uh, the temple, inside the temple, of the Holy of Holies, was a curtain that was torn from the top to bottom, separating the Holy of Holies from the, the, from the rest of the temple area. And it exposed the Holiest of Holies that was set apart and unapproachable by everyone else except for one individual on the planet and that would be the high priest. And once a year he was permitted to go behind that curtain and to do intercession for the nation of Israel, to atone for their sins, to ask for forgiveness, to ask God's blessing and to do the work of a priest for the nation of Israel. Once a year he was permitted to go through and into that place, the holiest of holies. It was so holy And God's glory rested in there. It's called a Shekinah glory. That they would tie a rope around the priest. So that in case he didn't do it right. They could retrieve the body. Because no one else wanted to go through there. And when Jesus died on the cross. That curtain. That separation. Tore revealing the Holy of Holies. What God was saying is that this temple that you guys built by the hands of men. Something that was that was thought up by Solomon and David and it was carried through. And for years, they had been bringing sacrifices and offerings and gathering there. He said, this will no longer be needed. I will set up my temple, not in a place made by men with stones and gold and things, but I will set my temple within my people. In other words, Paul said, you will become the temple of the Holy Spirit. Amen? This is why we have... All access. Because God has removed every barrier. He's brought us close. And he's inhabited a believer. And so if you call on Christ out of for salvation this morning. If you trusted in him by faith for the work of the cross. You have all access. Great news for all of us. Isn't it? Isn't that amazing? I'm so thankful for that. God has opened the door to his throne. To you and I this morning. So what is it? a working definition of prayer because prayer is the exercise of taking where we are and entering into that place and communing with God. What is a working definition of prayer? And I'll share it with you. It is the communion or fellowship with God through thought, through words, or through deeds. Yes, you can pray through deeds. I've taken many walks where my mind's been on Christ and I've been praying and asking the Lord to move. Uh, there's been times where I've been in situations where not a word has left my lips, but I am praying hard because I'm not sure what to say, or I'm asking Him for guidance, or whatever the case may be. I'm praying for someone else sometimes, but God has brought us into this fellowship with Him. The Greek word is a great word; it's called koinonia, and it simply means doing life together. God has brought us into this relationship with Him, where we will begin as believers to do. Life with him. In other words, he's not in some faraway temple. He's not behind some curtain that only one person gets access to. No, he's drawn us near. He's made his temple within us, and we will do life with him. So, a working definition is that it's the communion fellowship, or uh, it's the communion or fellowship with God through thought, words, or deeds. I do want to say this though about prayer. I believe that uh, many of us have a concept of prayer that we are attempting to get God to enter into our situation and work on our behalf because we're dealing with issues and problems and so forth, and there is an aspect to that. But I also believe that God has designed prayer so that we will get closer to Him. In other words, a lot of times we're asking God, please God, enter in, enter in, enter in, please work in this situation, move on this behalf, or whatever the case may be. And as we begin to approach God in prayer, as we begin to seek Him out, God takes us from this place where we're asking Him to come down and enter into our situation, and He actually lifts us up to where we're closer to Him, and we see it from His vantage point. It's actually the reverse happens so many times. How many times have you not gone into prayer, those of us that are seasoned saints in here, we've gone into prayer and we have one thing on our mind. We leave our prayer closet and all of a sudden we have a totally different perspective. That is because God has taken you from a position of going, please, 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 to where He brings you up and you're looking down into now from His vantage point, which is always going to be different from ours. It's just the truth that God is trying to change us through prayer and give us His perspective Oftentimes, And I think that he designed it that way. I was listening to a sermon on this particular topic of prayer by a pastor named J.D. Greer out of North Carolina. And uh, he says, says, let me explain to you some of the ways or the reasons that we would pray. And he says he used the word. I love this. I'm just going to go through a litany of people and what they were praying for from the Bible. Check this out. Zacharias and Elizabeth, they wanted a family when they couldn't. And they uh, were praying for a child. Solomon, he prayed for wisdom so that he could lead the nation of Israel. Eleazar, he prayed for for help from God to find his master a wife. Some of you guys are like, amen. Um, Daniel, he had a weird dream and he didn't know what it was, so he prayed for an interpretation from God. Gideon, he thought that God was calling him to do something amazing, but he wasn't sure, so he prayed for confirmation. Remember, he fleeced out those things. Uh, David He prayed for forgiveness after he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And he prayed that God would give him a clean heart and a renewed and steadfast spirit. Elijah prayed that it wouldn't rain. Paul prayed that this thorn in the flesh that bothered him would be taken away. The disciples prayed for boldness. Uh, There were fathers in the New Testament during the ministry of Jesus who prayed for their children to be healed and raised from the dead. Peter asked Jesus for financial help to pay his taxes. Jesus told his disciples to pray that they would not be led into temptation. Jesus prayed that the disciples would stop acting like idiots and be unified. <laughs> Jesus told us to pray for the lost. And that there would be workers that would go out into the fields and carry the gospel. And all the apostles prayed that Jesus would come back quickly. Amen? When I look at the signs of the times, <laughs> this is a great time to be alive in, in faith and Trusting in the Lord and living for Him. But it's also a time where more and more I find my heart calling out, Jesus, please just come back and just get us out of here. But there's more work to be done. People pray for everything. In fact, Philippians 4 verse 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but pray about everything. Letting your requests with thanksgiving be known to God. And so basically, here's the rule. If it matters to you, it matters to God. Amen? If it's something that you're carrying around, it's heavy on your heart, God knows it and it matters to Him. Pray for everything. Pray for everything because it matters to God. Now, you've opened up to Matthew. We read those verses. Now I'm going to break down six points from this, this uh, Our Father prayer that we can pull away and we can use these to help us understand what Jesus might have been saying to His disciples and in the Sermon on the Mount. Through this particular prayer. So I'm going to highlight some specific words. Through this prayer. And we're going to look at them. Unpack them. If there's six of them. You have a, a, a paper inside your, uh, your program. You can use that to follow along. Or you can just open up your app on your phone. And we have it there as well. On the Destiny app. So you can follow along and fill in the blanks. But this is what Jesus said. Because in Matthew's gospel. In chapter 5. It's, he pulls this prayer. From the Sermon on the mount. And in Luke chapter 11, it's actually one of his disciples who come to him and ask him to teach us how to pray. So he uses this prayer actually in two different times in his ministry. And so that's really important for us to take note of, first of all. Because whenever Jesus says something twice, maybe we should pay attention. Now, I want to make this clear. Some of you have a background that is with it's very... Uh, um, denominational, if you will, maybe you have a Catholic background, and this prayer has been something you've been saying forever and ever, and it's very familiar to you, you could say it in your sleep, right? I want to make a distinction here. Jesus said it very clearly. He said, this is how you should pray. How you should pray. He did not say, this is what you should pray. I want to make that distinction because many times we look at the our father prayer as though it is some kind of a you know hocus pocus magic words that you can put together and say and then all of a sudden you've got access to God and he's going to just move on your behalf it's not it's not the way it works. He said this is how you should pray, not what you should pray so How he organized this prayer is what we want to take apart and look at what we can do in the same way as we enter into our prayer time. So the first one that I want you to look at is our Father who art in heaven. Our Father art in heaven. So that's going to be in verse 9. And it says the word Father there, if you have your Bible, circle the word Father. This is an important term for us. And I would also say to you that this Lord's Prayer is broken down into three basic sections. The verses 6, uh, verses 9 and 10 are focusing on the Lord. Focuses, uh, verses 11 and 12 are focusing on our on our needs. And focus, uh, and verses 13 are focusing on our weaknesses. I have a hard time to for this one. So, back to our Father. So, our Father who art in heaven, it, this indicates our position in relationship to God because of Christ. I've already Tipped into this a little bit when I talked about the cross and how the veil was torn and all of that. But he says to his disciples when he asks them how to pray, he starts off by saying, our Father. We really need to be about looking at God as our Father. Now, this can be a touching subject because far too many people in our world today, they view God in a wrong way. They view God through the lens of maybe an earthly father that they either had a good relationship with or possibly a poor relationship with. And I would say that that's a very dangerous way to go about viewing God and relating to God and understanding who he is. That is not his character. There is no earthly man on earth who can be a father as good as God the Father, none even the best of fathers on our earth, and, and I've known some amazing men who are great fathers. They still make mistakes, they still fall short because we're human, we're sinful, and we don't have the capacity to love and to lead and to be all that we should be to be exactly like Christ. And so God is giving us this clue that you are not looked at as some out there servant that he's, you got to grovel your way to him, He's not looking at you as some distant thing. He's saying, the door's been opened. You can come to me. I am your father. Just last night, my son was spending the night at his friend's house. And at 1 o'clock in the morning, and then again at 3 o'clock in the morning, I received, what we received. My wife, he texted my wife and he texted me because we were all asleep and we didn't hear it. But he texted us because he needed his inhaler. Now, I want you to think of this for just a minute. Because he is my son, because he's my child, and because I'm his father and we are his parents, he has full access at any time to approach us. There's really no time that he can't come into our presence and seek our help. And he proved that by texting us at 3 o'clock in the morning. I mean, that was a miserable text and I had a hard time falling back to sleep. I might doze off here. But my point is this, is that we can approach Him without permission. It's been granted already. Someone in here needs to hear that because it's being driven home a lot this morning. You, if you belong to Christ, if you've trusted Him for salvation, you are now adopted into the family of God. He is your father. You are His child. You are a child of God. You have access to Him. You have permission He welcomes you. He's waiting. He's wanting. It does not burden Him. It does not bother Him. In fact, in Scripture, there's several places where we're exhorted to continue to pester God, to continue to ask Him, to seek, ask, and knock. We're exhorted in that. There was a widow that was so persistent that Jesus relented even though He didn't even want to. What does that tell you about God? It tells you that He's desiring us to approach Him. He's desiring us to not hold back. Bring it all to Him, man. Don't worry about what time of day or night or what it is. How big or small. He's our Father. Secondly, hallowed be thy name. Or hallowed be your name. When we say hallowed, we are quite literally confessing that His name is holy. The definition for hallowed is this. Revered, respected, honored above all else. By this confession... We are simply saying that our, we are willing to align our hearts with the proper place that it needs to be in relationship to God. Yes, He is our Father, but He is also holy. And there comes a whole bunch of things attached to the fact that our God, our Father, is perfect and holy. The attribute of His holiness He's perfect, not lacking anything. He's perfect in His love. He's perfect in all of these things. And we are simply confessing, you are everything. You are perfect, holy, lacking nothing. What that does to your heart, when you begin to go into prayer and you begin to align your heart with who God is and you confess that out with your tongue, it begins to change things on the way that you are approaching Him and looking at Him and trusting Him. It's an important aspect. Number three, Your kingdom come, your will be done. And this is great because this is all about His kingdom. Now look, I'm going to clue you in here. Throughout this year, 2019, man, we are going to be unpacking the kingdom a lot. We're going to be focusing on God's kingdom a lot. Getting His kingdom to be here and for us to advance His kingdom and all those things. And so I'm excited about what is in store for this church over 2019 and how it's going to ripple into the future and how it's going to change our community. And we are asking in the Lord's Prayer for His kingdom to come more. Not just around us but within us. You see, Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you. And this is where it starts. When you think about where you live and who rules and who's the king of this kingdom and all of that, when you say your kingdom come, it means, Lord, establish yourself as the king of my heart. Establish your place In my life. Bring your kingdom principles. Your kingdom promises. Your kingdom power. Into my life. That's what you're doing. You're inviting that into you. And into who you are. And it's important because. It literally confessed. Throughout scripture. His kingdom is mentioned. Almost more than anything else. And yet so many of us miss this. And we lose sight of it. Or. We get distracted from it. I love uh, Spurgeon has a devotional series out that um, I've dabbled in just time and again throughout the years that I've been, a, I've been a Christian. And it's called Morning and Evening Prayers. And so the way the devotion is laid out is that in the morning you'd open, you'd read, and then it would lead you in a devotion you'd pray. And then in the evening before you go to bed, you would read and pray. And it, it's kind of laid this out throughout the year. And it's really, it's really an awesome devotional. And uh, if you're looking for one, you should check it out. But what's really cool is when you take that morning and evening prayers and you say, your kingdom come. You're literally asking God to move and shake and do all these things for your help for the day. It's almost as this, your kingdom come, Lord, your kingdom come is like your morning prayer. Lord, I need your kingdom in my life before I even step out the door. I need it more in my heart, my mind, just focusing on this thing. And then for your evening prayers, prayers would be your will be done. If this is where you're resting in whatever God's will may be for you. One of the most difficult things for a believer is to really get in line with God's will sometimes. Because in our hearts and minds, the way we are, the way we, we're bent and our hearts are wicked, and our minds and all these other things, sometimes what we have planned for our lives is very different than what god has for our lives i saw a really funny meme the other day and he's like it was like a, a starting point of a guy in a race and it had a line and it's like it a little like a little flag thing starting he's like this is my plan for my life and and he he says this straight line right to god's will right and he says but this is god's plan and it's like this whole. <laughs> <laughs> let me tell you that is exactly right god doesn't care about what you want sometimes Because he knows what's best for you. And sometimes he's going to lead you into areas that are confusing and dark and scary. And you're going to question on purpose. He said some of the most amazing things in the Bible with people that were completely confused. Because he's God and sovereign. He sees outside of that thing and he wants to glorify his name. And if he just did this straight line in our lives, where would be the glory in that? But when it's an impossible thing, as we sang a song, there's a mountain, I've seen you move it before. What if he leads us to the the foot of a mountain and we need him to move it? That's his will. We would never choose it. But guess what? He led us there. And our evening prayer could be, Lord, your will be done. There's mountains in front of me. There's things that are crazy. But I trust you. I know your kingdom and your will. May these be ever evident in my heart and my life. Number four, he says, give us this day our daily bread. Now, um, what I want you to do is flip over to Luke chapter 11 for a second, where we had your hand there, and I'm just gonna read a portion of the text for you for a minute. In verse five of chapter 11, he says, then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight, and you say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread, A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are already in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of of the friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Now, there's two points that I want to point. The first one is, as I've already alluded to this, you can have... Aud- I love it, it's an aud- or shameless audacity. In other words, some of your versions would say boldness. Just unashamed boldness to go into God. And the story is this. This is what Jesus sets up. Because his disciples asked, how do we teach us how to pray? And he gives them the Our Father, and then he goes right into this little story here about a guy who's Late at night, someone comes to visit him. He goes, He doesn't have anything to offer him, the hospitality, which was a big thing in this Jewish culture, and then he goes to his neighbor and says, hey, I don't have anything. Give me something to offer to him. And he says, even though they're friends, he says he wouldn't give it to him just because he's friends. In fact, that's the person probably like, are you crazy? Go back to bed, dude. Leave me alone, right? Your neighbor, your friend. But because of his shameless audacity, in other words, his boldness, his persistence to ask, He's going to open up his house and say, come in just take whatever you need. Take whatever you need. Now, why would Jesus put that right after he's teaching us to pray the Our Father prayer? Because in God's mind, he wants us to ask for the big things. It's kind of like what Pastor Greg was saying this morning when he got up here. Occasionally, we're bringing some big things to God, and that's a good thing. That's a great thing. We get to see God do big things When we bring Him big things. And some of us have been in life long enough that we've seen God. We have testimonies like what Greg was saying this morning. That's one way. But the other one is is when we say, give us this day our daily bread. You're literally bringing the things that you need, your needs. It's okay to bring God those things. It's okay to say, God, I need you to move in this part. I need help with my job. I need help with my finances. Our daily bread. This is our daily provision. That's what he's saying here. And so it's not only big, but it goes all the way down to things that would be seemingly small as well. Yet because of our shameless audacity, God would hear us. Number five. We're clipping through these. I like this. Number five is forgive us our sins as we forgive one another. And this is a very important one that we need to understand. I think that one of the biggest hindrances that I've had to deal with in my own personal life is the, is the topic and the issue of forgiveness. I know that through Scripture it tells me that unforgiveness will hinder my prayers, that un- unforgiveness is something that God truly frowns upon. It's actually a sin. And in the life of a believer, unforgiveness can be one of the most difficult things. And maybe you've experienced some extreme pain from someone. Maybe you never asked for it. Maybe a parent. Maybe a spouse. A boss. A neighbor. And maybe that situation in your life, you've hung on to. And he says, ask to help to forgive. Forgive me, God, as I forgive others. Jesus told an amazing parable of a man who dealt with unforgiveness and he owed a king a large sum of money. And he went in and he pleaded that he would be forgiven. And when he pleaded to be forgiven, the king relented. And as he left the king's presence, he went out into the courtyard. He saw another individual that happened to owe him some money. And the equivalence of the two differences was the king was owed by this man an insurmountable amount of money. It was impossible to pay back. We're talking like billions of dollars. And the man in the courtyard that he saw was it was $20. And what happened was, is he grabs onto this guy and he says, give me my money. I, you know, I always think of uh, that movie, like, give me my $5, I want my You guys never say anything to that movie? It's an old movie, I'm old. Anyway. And the kings, the people in the court of the king saw what he did to this guy. He, says, he brings him back and says, the king, hey, you just went out and like strangled this guy for like $20. What's going on? So the king brings him back and he says, how dare you? I forgave you a debt and you could never pay, and yet you hold this over his head. A, a, it's a small amount. And he throws him into prison. And that is a spiritual picture of what happens when we hold on to unforgiveness. When we hold unforgiveness against somebody else, it literally puts us in a prison. A prison. Someone said to me one time, having unforgiveness in your life is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. It literally affects you more than anything else. And the moral of that story was that you've been forgiven a debt that you could never pay back. In a million lifetimes, you can't pay back for the sins that you've done against God. There's no way to do it. We can't earn it. It's a gift from God. He's saying you've been forgiven freely. You, therefore, in your forgiveness, should be willing to forgive anyone of any offense. And that is a hard thing to take sometimes. But with God's help, it can be done. And oh, the freedom when you finally give it up. And let God be the one that takes care of it and handles it and vindicates it. All of those things that need to happen. How awesome is that freedom when that prison door is open and you can walk out because you've chosen to forgive. Amen. Lastly, number six. He says, lead us not into temptation. And this is a great one. I think that God just loves when his children pray, God Lead me not into temptation. Please, Lord, keep me from sinning. Listen, in our fight against sin, sometimes we forget to ask God to keep the temptation from in front of us. Sometimes that's the best prayer to pray. If you have a certain weakness and you have a tendency to stumble in a certain area of your life that's sinful, uh, start the day by saying, God, I see this, and just lead me not into temptation in this area. Keep this person away from me. Keep this thing away from me. Lord, help me out. I'm weak. I need your help. God loves that prayer. And He tells us to pray that way. Amen? Now, we're going to close up here. And I have three last points that I want to make up. Because we've kind of pulled apart the Lord's Prayer. And so you can go back over your notes or whatever you need to to look at this again. But I want to leave you with three short points on how to develop a prayer discipline. Prayer is a discipline. It's a practice. It's something that we have to Uh, We have to enact it in our lives, we have to make the initiative, we have to take the time and we have to put it in the proper place within our life. And the first one that I want is that prayer needs to be prioritized. It needs to be prioritized. We have a tendency, human nature, we don't pray until it gets really bad. And then we go to God prayer, it's a big mess. Oh God, it's a mess, I don't know what to do, help me, help me. What if we flip that around and we pray first? What if our, our whole idea was, let's pray first, instead of waiting for it to get back? We prioritize prayer. We do it in that way, but we also do it within our general life. Let's make it a point that when we wake up, part of our daily routine is that we spend some time, whether it's in the shower or on your commute on the way to work, or if you have an opportunity to have a quiet time before you leave the day, whatever it would be, let's get prayer as a priority in our lives, let's establish it, And let's give it that place where God can begin to do what he wants to do through that time. Number two, prayer is practice. You do what you become. (laughs) Think about that for a minute. You do what you become. If you start doing this, you will become it. If you start practicing prayer, if you start prioritizing in your life, if you put it in its proper place, you will become a prayer warrior. You will become a prayer Do what you become. And I would say all kinds of prayers can be practiced as well. Sing songs of prayers to them. The Bible says psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. These are all acts of prayer to the Lord. And then lastly, prayer is protected. We need to protect our prayer time. Discipline takes time. In fact, the whole reason that we do a 21 day a prayer and fasting is that it takes 21 days to unlearn a habit and 21 days to learn a new habit. And so we're trying to establish new habits in our lives. This comes through discipline, persistence, practice, priority, protection. Keep it in front of you and it will slowly develop into something that's amazing and God will use in your life in a great way. And that's just a beautiful thing. I want to leave with this verse and then we're going to pray ourselves. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Some of your Bibles say, pray without ceasing. And I would say that that pray continually from the Greek word, it simply means to pray non-stop. It doesn't mean walk around babbling and doing all that. What it really means is that in every circumstance, I'm willing to commune with God in that situation. That's all it is, in every circumstance. Think of it this way. Have you ever been at work, and uh, some of you guys that work in offices, you've been like, I spent all day at that dumb copy machine. Anyone that you said that to would never say, "Well, you must have like sat on top of the coffee machine all day and just sat." No, it just simply so means you were back and forth to that thing all day long. It was continuously you were around it. Right? This is what it means. So all day long, opportunities will pop up to pray. So Thessalonians tells us, nevertheless, pray continue. Pray continue. Amen. I'm excited about the rest of this uh, series that we're going to do. I think it's going to have a great opportunity to transform some of our lives in great ways. And so, if you would do me a favor, we're going to stand, and I'm going to pray for you. Let me pray. Father, I thank you this morning for the work you've already done, and just the amazing way that you've Minister to us as your people, and I just pray, God, more of that in this church, Jesus. And Lord, we pray as a congregation of people, God, that you would help us to develop a life of prayer, and communion with you, God. That you would put within us a hunger to do what it takes to press into you, and to, and that we would experience the rewards of that, God. That we would see prayers answered. That we would be used to help other people. God, that we would be warriors that come to you with things and Lord, with great faith, expecting you to move. And so God, I pray that for us, that we would be the house of prayer that you wanted your house to be. God, develop that in us. I just want to pause my prayer for a second because there could be someone in this room this morning that has not surrendered their life to Christ what that means is, you're not sure whether if you ended your life today if you would be in heaven. And it may may seem strange to you that I'm going to stop, but this is the most important thing that could ever happen to you in your life, is to look at what God is offering to you and to accept that free gift of salvation. God has died on a cross. Jesus died for the sins of the world so that he could bring mankind back into relationship with him. How amazing would it be that today you surrendered your life to Christ. He did this because he loves you. You have sins that stand between you and him. They have to be removed in order for you to know him the way he wants you to know him. And so he gives us Jesus. And I would say this morning, you can trust in the work of Jesus on the cross. His blood spilled out to wash away all of our sins, amen. And if you're here this morning and you have never surrendered to Christ for salvation, You can simply do it right now. Just trust in Him. And you can whisper this prayer to yourself. Jesus, I trust in the work of the cross. Be my Lord and Savior. Save me. Cleanse me. Make me new. And come and live inside me as the temple of your Holy Spirit. So will we bring all of these things to you this morning? We thank you, Jesus, for your love for us. We thank you, God, for this day. And we just all together in agreement say, Amen.